Are you ready to bridge the gap in our current healthcare system and really help people that struggle with flexibility, mobility, and weakness? Hi, I'm Kim Narker, and welcome to Rehab to Wellness Boss Podcast, a business owner successful startup podcast where I help you start, build, and grow your wellness business. Join me as I reveal real secrets to helping rehab professionals build a successful, proven wellness program that keeps their community away from reactive care. Welcome back, everybody, to Rehab to Wellness Boss Podcast. We have Robbie Wilker's on for the second time now. <laughs> the people have spoken. They said, hey, bring them back on. They said, okay, well, let's do this, Kim. So I reached out, and here we are. So let's rock and roll. Yeah, so all of you guys heard Robbie Wilker's last podcast with me. We had a lot of great nuggets in there. So just so that I can bring you back to what Robbie does, if you don't follow him continuously, he is the founder of Rehab CEOs, a lot of good information there. So Robbie, let's jump in. Give us a little bit of a backstory on you for those of us that haven't seen or heard from you in a while. Okay. Yeah. So Kim, well, first of all, thanks for having me. I've been like diving deep into your podcast. So you had a couple of episodes released. I was able to get on there and listen to some of them. And I was just like, man, this is really good stuff. I saw Anthony was on there. I saw our brother Escott was on there. So I was like, this is really good stuff. So if you guys aren't watching Kim's podcast, thank you for having me on. Thanks for having me on twice. This is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then, so go check out her stuff. So kudos to you and getting this thing up and running because you're going to help a ton of people. So yeah, quick backstory about me. When I went to PT school, I knew that I 100% wanted to start a private practice, but it's not what happens when I came out of school. So believe it or not, I know that there, we have a lot of students here taking their exam and then they're going to try to pass their boards and get their license and stuff like that. And I took my exam and the little piece of paper came in the mail and I opened it up. Well, at the time, like we got mail and like you could do it online now and all this other stuff. So I, I got my result and I passed by one question. That was it. So people don't know that. So you're the first one to know that I passed my board exam by one question. And I was just crazy to me because I could have went any, any which way I could have failed. I could have had to take it over again. And what if I didn't pass it? It was kind of crazy, but my journey has started with just one question to the good and that's all I needed. And then I was off to the races. So I went in, my wife lived in Virginia and I was up in Pittsburgh at the time. And cause I went to Chatham university for my uh, doctorate, which is up by university of Pittsburgh. And when I was go applying for jobs, because she was down here, I was up there and I applied. I saw this owner was had a job offering and they interviewed me while they were on the phone in Home Depot. And they, <laughs> I was like, do you want to do anything formal? They're like, no, you sound great. When could you start? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm trying to come down as soon as possible. But they're like, great, start Monday. So that was like Friday, interviewed in Home Depot. And I'm starting Monday, getting my stuff from Pittsburgh to come down to Virginia, which was crazy. So it's like, I did not know that story. That's, yeah, cool. you so, know, it's funny you say that, Robbie, because when I got my test results and ours were at the time, because that was, mine was in 1993 that I graduated, ours were mailed. You, you had to wait for six weeks to oh get your, your test results. <laughs> and mine, I think it was like 
five questions more than passing. And I thought, oh, I'll never show or tell this score because no, no, that's no. You horrible. Gotta, you got <laughs> to tell your story because there's, there's someone out there that might be stressed out about it. And I think personally, it's just like, you know, the, the board exam, it's a big test. Like, because we did admissions at Chatham University. And the thing there is, you know, when people were always come in, we're like, hey, these GRE scores, like walk us through that process. Why are they a little bit lower? People would be like, well, you got to understand, Kim, I'm just not a good test taker. And what they were really saying is just like, hey, by the time I'm done with PT school, there's this thing called the board exam and I might not be able to perform on it. <laughs> well, not only that, right? I studied in the evenings and I scheduled my test for the first thing in the morning. Yeah, there you go, too. Yeah, so this is the whole, like, anyways, we passed. So this is an air high five to let people know we passed. We're in it. But if you're taking your, if you're watching this as a student and you're taking your board exam, just know it's going to be okay. We're not telling you our stories that we passed by only one question. That's not what we want you to take away from this. Mm-mm. What we want you to take away is that pass the board or fail, right? You only have to be over by one question and then you're off with your career. And then look back and be like, I'm done. I'm over. Whew. So that's exactly. the hardest part of everything. Like, it's just like passing the board exam. All this other stuff was just easy, right? Exactly. <laughs> nothing's worse than trying to pass your test and that stress. Like, I always tell people there's like school stress of trying to pass. And then there's like business stress and trying to get this stuff figured out. So I know you were mentioning a lot of your owners are new startups. And they're trying to get to the next phase and what that looks like there. So, you know, I think for me... When I first started, like how I became a practice owner is was totally random as well. So I, I got a job there with that the Home Depot company. They hired me, but they were a PT and Cairo hybrid clinic. And they had 50% of their business was chiropractic and 50% of their business was PT. And I came in and was the PT. Now, <laughs> people don't know this story either, but this is good about like sharing stories is I got there and it was Monday and I walked in and I'm, it was me. It was another PT. And then it was two athletic trainers. And I sat there and I was just like, oh, they must do things different in Virginia. (laughs) So I didn't realize this at the time. It was PT had their own schedule and the athletic trainers had their own schedule. And I sat there and I was just like, huh, (laughs) this must be new, right? And how, who am I to question the model because they've been doing it for whatever. And finally I, I got my license and I started a treat and then I'm talking to other owners and they're like, that doesn't sound right. So then I leaned in and was just like, Hey, I don't think athletic trainers could treat their own schedule for physical therapy. And next thing I know is the owner called me back and she's just like, you're right. (laughs) I'm going to fix the schedule and I'll be in tomorrow. We'll figure this out. And that was it. Next thing I know is the next day on the schedule, I had three other people's schedule on my schedule. And if we ever got audited, it was just like a disaster. So Sorry, buddy, for two units space. Well, yeah, it was just like, now I got two athletic trainer schedules on mine. We got to figure things out. It was like damage control. But long story short there, like, so some of you are new grads going into physical therapy or you're just starting and you're, maybe you're looking for your second job. Just know that my first week on the job, I was treating three people's schedules. <laughs> and no, there's going to be hiccups, guys. Yeah. You're not going to come out of PT school. Right. And your job is going to be the perfect job because right now reimbursement and everything out, everybody's just trying to do the best they can do. So hang with it, learn everything you need to learn and become the person that you want to become and what you want to do. Yeah. And I I think realistically the best piece of advice as a new grad I 
ever got was from my clinical instructor, Martine. She's up in, hey, Martine, if you're listening, she's up in Pittsburgh. And she told me, she's just like, hey, you, you got this. Like, you know your stuff, you're, you're personable, like you're kind, you're caring, you're professional. You got all the core value stuff that you need to be a good provider. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. However, you're too in your head about what to do. And I laughed and I'm just like, am I too in my head or is this a PT thing? Because I talk to my friends and we all sound the same way. And she's like, no, you all are just like, you're all type A. You got to do things perfectly. You got to, you know, did I do the right special test? Did I do the right thing? And she leaned in and she gave me the best advice. And not only the best advice for like, like provider to the patient, but just life advice. And she's like, patients have no clue what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. They have no clue. They don't know if you're supposed to do an empty can. They don't know if you're supposed to do, you know, this test or the Hawkins Kennedy, they, they, whatever. They have no clue. The only person that knows is you. So just show up and shine. And that's it. And I was like, huh, they don't, they don't have any idea. And she's like, and if you make a mistake, all you have to do is do it the next session. That's it. So just doing your note, like, hey, just next session when the patient comes in, test for blank or do this or do that. And I, and I thought about it, Kim, and I was like, man, that is so powerful because it was just like, people have no clue what you're supposed to be doing. So just show up and shine. So that was, and they don't. And I think, (laughs) I think that is good advice, honestly, because we, we don't know how to relate with a consumer client, whatever you call them. I call my clients clients, but some people say consumers. So just know that the person needs help. And if you can help them, then just what you said, show up and shine and help them. Don't be authoritative. Don't do any of those other things. Just figure out what their problem is and then give them a program that works for them. Yeah. And I I think that's a really good point. Like, so, you know, most individuals, like when they're working with patients and stuff like that, we are very techno babble and we're very like, we got to be professional. We got to be this. We got to be that. The one thing that I found with everybody is that most people want to feel a certain way. Yes. Right. So I think realistically, when they go to the clinic, like when people are like, oh, you know what? I really like that Kim and I want to work with Kim. It's like, well, what did you like about them? Did you like her hair? Did you like the way she dressed? Did you like the way she put her hands on you and treated you and made you feel? And people lean in. They're like, well, she made me feel better. And she cared about what I had to say versus X, Y, Z, other therapists. And I start to think about it. And it's like a lot of individuals will like people are like, oh, we got to do scripts. You know, we got to no shows and cancels and we got to call them 90 times and we got to convince them to come in. And they're swimming away from us, but drag them in and drag them around because we want hostages. and <laughs> We don't want volunteers. And I sit there and I laugh and I'm just like, my goodness. It's like I want to work with people swimming towards me. Right. So I want to work with people who want to be here. I want to be work with people who want to be in my house. I want to people who want to be on my table, want to be on my schedule. How do I do that? I was like, well, how do I do that? It's like, I need to create an environment when I'm with them that they feel like coming back, right? People talk about like, oh, what do you say? Like, what's your little, like, you know, at the end of the thing, we have to, we have to convince them to come to the next session. I'm like, dude, I've convinced them to come to the next session five minutes in. Like, I don't know what you're talking about because I was able to get them to the point when they walked in, instead of being like, Kim, how was your pain level? Right. Well, it's an eight out of 10 and whatever. Oh, you know, hop on the table. We won't do any exercises, even though you were able to get out of bed, take a shower, get your clothes on, walk down the stairs, eat your breakfast, get out the front door, get in the car, drive to the clinic, walk out of your car, get into the clinic and show up to my table. But God forbid we do any exercises because you're in seven out of 10 out of pain. It doesn't make sense. Right. So when they come in, hey, Kim, between last session and today, what's your biggest takeaway? What's your big win? 
share it with me. I want to hear yeah. wins. I want to hear ahas. I want to hear your big takeaway. And we build this thing called yes momentum. And we get them to keep saying yes. Kim, does that sound good? Yes. Are you getting better? Yes. You know, are the exercises helping? Yes. And then they buy value because they're saying the stuff. And you create this environment. And I think there's a lot of new grads or startup clinics and owners. We're worried about all the other stuff. And if you just worry about creating an environment that a patient wants to be there and they get results, now all of a sudden this happens. I think a couple of these are juicy tips, guys. We're kind of yeah. off the subject, but I want to no, hit this here because good. this is yeah, awesome for clinical skill. I think also getting to their eye level, sitting beside them. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Make sure your client is comfortable and that you two are talking to each other equally and you're feeding on their energy. So if you're crossing your arms and you're authoritative, they're going to take that as being talked down upon. So you just, I, I simply would just sit down beside my person before I would close my program. I'm a PTA, oh, cool. so we yeah. close programs, but I sit down and explain it to them and then ask if they have any questions or ask. And most of them say that makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Cause if you think about it, what do we do? So like a patient comes in we put them in the chair, we're up on the table. Yep. Or we put them on the table and you're in the chair. So it's just like, you know, there's either a superior, inferior dynamic one way or the other. So if the patient's above you, they have the power to say no, mm-hmm. right? So because they're the authority and then you put yourself in a stronger position. Whereas if you're the authority and you're speaking down on them and it's just like, do you understand what I have to say? They sit there and they're just like, I feel uh-huh, like you're, uh-huh, you're uh-huh. attacking me. But versus sitting down and having combat and looking at them directly and sometimes I've even gotten on the floor, someone's in a wheelchair, you kneel down to the ground, you get to their level, right? Yeah. If it's a child, you, you kneel down, you talk to the child directly versus standing up as this story. I think that's really great advice, Kim, you know, yeah. to be able to just some small little tips from cl- even clinical standpoint, which is mm-hmm. big. But- and then another one is when you introduce yourself to that person, instead of coming out and saying, hey, I'm Robbie Wilkers, I'm your PT today, you come out mm-hmm. and you say, Oh my gosh, I heard you have a problem getting down off the floor and you want to learn to get back up off the floor again, picking up your grandchild, head on back. Let's get some testing done and get you started so that we can start getting you into those harder positions. And they go, you just blew my mind. Like, you know what's going on with me already before we even walk back to the room. Yeah, I read your intake forms. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you must be Kip. You must be Kim and you must be the one that's having a hard time walking around. Well, let's come on back and let's get you started. And like, how does this guy know me? Right. Yeah. So that's like the pre-framing of everything that we do, even as like owners of companies or as clinicians or even just peer-to-peer friend. Like when you could get yourself in a position to future pace and understand like where the patient's at, where you want to get them to and let them see the extended version of that. Now they're going to be like bought into it because a lot of people are very one sided. Like, hey, when you come in and you start your physical therapy practice, right, we're just worried about getting through the day through the week. But, hey, by the end of the year, this is what we should accomplish. Now let's reverse engineer it and work backwards for what's our targets from a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, biannually and then yearly goal. And now all of a sudden those that like long goal just becomes very bite sized. Mm-hmm. You're knocking down those dominoes. From mm-hmm. a clinician standpoint, because I know we have some clinicians listen too, it's just like, you know, you might eventually want to get to become a business owner, but right now, while you're being a clinician, learn those soft skills, right? Learn how to network, learn, like when your owner is like, oh, who wants to go visit doctors? Your hand should be so far up in the mm-hmm. air that you're going to learn two things. Well, I hate going to doctor's visits is what I hear a lot of people say. Well, I hate doing timeshare 
you know, sales pitches, but guess who goes to them a couple of times a year? Because there's one of two things that are going to happen. They're either going to sell me into a timeshare or I'm going to learn how not to sell a timeshare. But I learned the sales process, yep. right? When people are like, oh, no, I, I'm just looking. I love to be sold, right? Because two things happen. I either get sold and I learned what a good sales process and a good buying environment experience feels like, or I learn how not to sell someone and create an environment for them not to sell. So if you guys have the opportunity to go market or do this or go that as a clinician, your hand should be so far up in the air because even though you're not getting paid for it, you are learning a skill that is going to be able to, you're going to carry with you when you go to open up your practice, right? Don't tell anybody you might be going to open your clinic, <laughs> but at the same time, you learn those skills, acquire. And that's what I did at my first, that's why I kind of mentioned in my backstory there about that practice, like, it, was it the best? No. But what I learned is I learned how to work with a chiropractor. I learned how to work with physicians. I learned how to work with vestibular rehab specialists because they were a concussion clinic. I learned how to go and market to physicians and fill my schedule. Like I learned the soft skills needed. And then when I was ready, right, I was becoming the person and I was doing the activities required. Then when I was able to do it, people were like, yo, how did you start this clinic and then scale to in three clinics in 18 months? And I'm like, because I already learned the soft skills. I already learned what to do. And I just did it three times and got three clinics. Like that's how I learned quickly, you know, versus some people come in and they're just like, well, I'm going to open my doors and patients will come. I think I'll turn on some ads and we'll see what happens. And then that's it. But there's more to it than that. And that's a lot more. Like. And this is a good segue to this. So yeah. what are the struggles you get to mentor a lot of new business owners and owners mm-hmm. that are failing yeah. in their business? Okay. That's when they pretty much come to you. What are some struggles that you see in owners in general today? Yeah, I think owners need to understand a couple of things. First, they need to get out of their own way. And I don't mean that in like a get out of their own way, like they're in the way and bottleneck. I need mean, get them there, out of their way because they, they're too visionary. They have too many ideas and they're not enough implementation. So and then they cause what I like to call, um, <laughs> I like to call it a whiplash. And their staff is kind of along for the ride. It's like, well, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. we got a new Facebook strategy. we got a new Google ads. We're going to do this. And then all of a sudden the staff is just like, Whoa. what that causes, Kim, is it lacks trust. They lose mm-hmm. trust in their team. And I think once you lose trust in your team members, then whatever decisions you make going forward is, is lost. Yeah. But at the same time, if you keep building trust with your team, and the way to do that is you make a decision, you have follow through. And then the team members are like, oh, that worked. And then all of a sudden, hey, guys, that works. All we have to do is add this. This, this is the next component. And then they add that. And it's like, oh, that worked too. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're stacking wins versus stacking losses. And I think that's the key because what happens as a business owner is we haven't developed mastery, that subconscious resource that like, if I do this, this is the result that will occur. Right. If I need to do lead generation, like if I go out there and put out video content and I do it consistently, I'm going to generate leads. I know that like that's business. Like I know that if I put myself out there content, I'll get leads. But mm-hmm. what happens is they're like, well, maybe I'll try this and maybe I'll try that. And they, they pivot too quickly when they're so far away. So I think mm-hmm. from an owner, just to kind of pull that all back together, is that most owners are, are looking for other people to solve their problems. And it causes either whiplash with their staff, shiny object syndrome, or realistically it causes paralysis because they get so worked up that they don't make a move. 
Um, This is a really good example. So I have an owner that had a laser. I don't know if you have people that have life force laser, Mm -hmm. cold laser or whatever it is. But I put out a post in our group. Hey, guys, listen, I got a practice owner. He's condensing clinics. He's got three clinics. He's going down to two because he's got two really profitable clinics and one not so much. So we're going to move it over to two and he's going to make more profit than he knows what to do with it. And he's offloading a laser, right? So he's that's what he's doing. Who here wants a laser at 30% of the cost or 70% discount? I had one owner that like soon as I posted it was like, dude, I'm in. Who is it? Let me know. I'm ready to buy. I need a laser. Let's go. Then I had other people like, and I'm still getting emails that trickling. Oh, well, I might be interested. Not right now. It might be a week, two weeks. We're doing these things. Like, you know, my practice doesn't open for like six months and then, then I'll reach out. So there's this thing called first mover advantage, Right. And I think that a lot of times what you have to know from a business standpoint as an owner versus a clinician is you have to be the one that takes calculated risks as a business owner. I'm going to plug my machine in to keep talking. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing is that you want to be able to make sure that you have individuals that are taking calculated risks. And the key here is when it comes to prime mover advantage is I had someone, I put up a post and he took advantage of it. And now he's going to get a laser for his clinic. And almost 70% off. <laughs> so, and now they're going to be able to go implement it and make money that they need to. But I think a lot of times that we see is most individuals are either scared to make a decision or they make a decision way too quickly. And what that happens, Kim, is it causes all this kind of just minutia, friction between them and their team and they lose that trust. Um, that would be one of the biggest things that I see when it comes to practice owners or even just new owners in general, making those mistakes. Way to go. Great information. I hope you guys gathered all of that stuff. So any other struggles that you think maybe looking at a new owner, Yeah, kinda, yeah. you know, they're diving into, they have to do everything. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Well, first off um, you got to kind of think there's a couple of different new owners. And, and the first one is the solo owner. Like they don't even have any staff on site. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, so they're, they're answering the phones, they're doing the marketing, they're treating the patients and that's going to be fine up until about like, you know, and if they're, if they're seeing one-on-one for an hour, that usually is fine up until about 25 visits Mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. If they're doing like maybe, you know, one every 40 minutes or 60 visits a week, usually they get up to about 40, 50 visits a week. And then they realize that like, you know, the wheels are falling off the wagon a little bit. I personally, if I was a solo practice owner, had to do it again. My first power move would be hire an office manager. So I would get the money that's coming in. I would still live my life really lean, Kim. Like, <laughs> like, like. But well, you got to think. I, this is a good point, Robbie. You, yeah. Guys, this is gold here. To think that you're going to go from a nine to five job with a mm-hmm. salary into yeah. a business yeah. that is six figures. Yeah. Not going to happen. Just not going to happen. And and if it does and you go there too fast, you're not going to be able to scale it and do the things you want to do. So you want to do the right things and making it lean, not taking as much of a salary and putting money into your business to grow Mm -hmm. your business is your first step. Yeah, because a lot of us aren't doing any VC funding or anything like that. Some Mm -hmm. of us might take out like SBA loan or something like that, too. But realistically, if you could get started super lean and then don't take on like a 100K student SBA loan. It, it works out to your advantage because it takes a while to pay that back. Now, granted, like a two or three grand a month payment over 10 years, it's like, it, it hurts. But at the same time, it's doable. 
But at the same time, if you really think about the process, if you become a practice owner, like there's three moves that need to be made from a, a clinician. Number one is that you go in and you're treating first by yourself, solo. Then all of a sudden you have to hire your second person. Now, I know some of you on here are PTAs and Kim's a PTA. So this is absolutely zero disrespect for PTAs. But I see the biggest mistake the practice owner makes is they hire a PTA to save money and it handcuffs them when they try to move to three clinicians. Yep. So realistically, if we're trying to get you out of treatment, like your second move should be a PT first. Mm-hmm. So then that way you have you and a PT working there. And then the next step in the process is to remove the owner out and then hire another PT. So I got two PTs in there and the owner out. However, then you need your front office staff because you don't even know yeah. how to run a front office. Well, yet, you, so that's where I see them fail. Yeah, and that front office person should be your first hire. And, and yes. I always and I always mention Kim, hire an office manager and not a medical receptionist. Right. And the reason why is a medical with sales experience. Oh, uh, with sales. Yeah, I've teach like that's my like when someone asks me about med reps or asks me about office manager, have someone with sales experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't care if you even go and get the Eastim 10 unit person that's doing the you know, door to day sales, whatever, like lean in and be like, hey, I know the commission might be good, but would you ever think about running my front office for me and doing sales? Because if you guys people up at the front that have their own income issues and they're afraid to ask people for money, like that's not like our moral obligation is to help as many people as possible. Yes. Right. And selling is, is serving. Right. So you got to sell people in order to serve them. Right. Because you can't. You have to get out of what I like to call survival mode. And when an owner is in survival mode, they can't pay their home bills. They can't pay their bills of their clinic. They can't grow and scale the way they want to and get comfortable. They can't get above break even. They make really poor decisions. Mm -hmm. They take out line of credits. They take out SBA loans. They make partnership decisions that they're not supposed to make. And it puts them so far away from their goal because they're making really poor because that cortisol is releasing. And that cortisol release, we're all PCs, so we that cortisol release and we make really stupid decisions. I think you could see that from some of the things that are happening in the world, like that Will Smith issue. You know, the poor guy's going through, he's got that cortisol going, it makes him go crazy, he gets up and does something that arguably could hurt his career. Right. Right. Or, you know, it's you know, whatever. So, but at the same time, you guys have to understand that we need to get as far out of survival mode as we possibly can. And in order to do that, we are finding that you have to get about three PT into your facility, right? That's because- when you're starting to scale. So we're going to jump in. So that's yes. starting to yep. scale. So if you're a solo practitioner, I'm going to say one thing. You're well, exactly there, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're exactly right with the PT, PTA things, what we're hearing and I'm hearing a lot right now, Robbie, is we've got PTAs that want to open a PT private practice. And guys, I've okay. done it. Okay. I've been there. I've done it. You have to hire your PT and you have to fill your PT before you even get to you. And that's why the stretch mobility coach works because when you have to do the PT model, you now have, you see what I'm doing here, Robbie, you have two people you have to support and you have to hire an office manager. Whereas the stretch mobility coach, you can do the same thing that you're saying that a PT would do start off with your 25 visits, be a solo entrepreneur get to a point where you can afford an office manager, train and hire that office manager, get that going, fill your calendar, and then get somebody else to fill you and then get to that three-person model that you're talking about. Yeah, and you know what? I'm trying to respect my audience here because I know we're on a podcast and I'm talking to some PTAs and stuff like that. So I you know, I don't want to poo-poo anybody's dreams and wishes, but if Kim says it, then I'm going to say it. <laughs> so 
a PTA can't start their own. They, you can legally. Like I yes. want to be very clear. You could 100%. Financially, whoo. Well, like, it is so a I, hard start financially. Yeah, because here's, here's the problem. I just kind of laid the blueprint. PT gets in there, does the evals, does the progress summaries, does the discharges, right? Does the routine visits. Now all of a sudden a PTA comes in there and now you want to get paid. But then you also have to pay sixty, seventy, or eighty thousand dollars salary to a PT. Don't know if you know what the math is there, but that's anywhere between five to seven grand a month. Mm-hmm. So where are we coming up with that money? Unless we take out a loan, and now we could float them. But now you got to pay them for three to six months to get full, and now we got to turn on the marketing and, and fingers and toes crossed. You got now, a lot of stuff to do. And the other thing, though, too, Kim, is when you have two clinicians like that. I think you know you're asking me kind of like big mistakes. I think one of the biggest mistakes that most people make is they don't have a big enough space to grow into, right? They, Wait, a, people do. They, you're exactly right. Yeah. Let's everybody listen to that. You think yeah. you just need a little room that's five to 600 square feet and that's all you need and you outgrow yeah. it really quickly. You, you outgrow it really quickly. And um, I, I was actually just talking to an owner the other day and he called me for advice about opening up in a third location. And part of the process was, you know, hey, like, when I open, I got to do a hundred K build out and I got to do all this other stuff. And I Ooh. just leaned in and I said, listen, listen, well, you know, honestly, Kim, COVID and stuff is crazy now, right? So COVID and build outs and, you know, square footage and like, you know, contractor cost and, and people aren't doing abatements for rents. They're not mm-hmm. given the whole like two to three months buffer. Like it's the wild west out there because everybody's trying to recoup money for what they lost during COVID. Right. Which makes no sense because we all got PPP loans. So anyways, <laughs> It's like, it's like, I hear the excuse, but if you didn't get your loan, it's on you. But at the same time, like I sit here and I leaned in, I said, I just have one question to ask you. What's the square footage? And they said, well, it's 1500 square feet. And I say, that's two clinicians. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred K loan. And you're going to fill that thing up in like six months. And you're going to have to go and do another hundred K build out to a 3000 square foot facility. Yep. So why don't we just do that first? And they're like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Don't know. Is it a fear thing? Or is it like, you don't know if you could scale that high? It's like, well, this is just a good, so already like talking through, like, and I said, listen, I'm not even just saying like, if it was me, it's a no. I was like, as your friend and as like one, I'm your, you know, mentor, (laughs) you're my client. Like, I cannot let you do that deal. I just can't. Right. So I see all the time where a lot of practice owners, what they do is they get into these deals and it handcuffs them. And then they get resentment towards their business because they feel like they could have did something else and they have all this money wasted. Your decision making in the front end is going to be able to determine like how much revenue you'll be making on the back end. If you're a physical therapist and you ask for a 55K salary instead of 60, well, you just jeopardized $100,000 over the course of your career. Congratulations. (laughs) Right. If you negotiated 65 instead of 60, five grand over 10 years is 50,000 bucks. You know, so it's just like you're on different trajectories. For my practice owners, getting into rents, getting into partnerships, getting into situations where like they're handcuffed and they can't grow their business is a really vulnerable place to be in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But people lean in now and they're like, okay, you got me interested and you said a lot of things what I shouldn't do. What should I do? <laughs> so, right? Because people are like, well, Kim just said, if I'm a PTA, I shouldn't be opening up my own practice. You know, and Robbie's kind of agreeing with that. And, and I'm not saying don't hire a PTA. There is a way to do it if There's you're a, a PTA do and do it. I don't know why you would do it with the reimbursement the way it is right now right. and and reimbursement schedules. It's different than it was with me. I started with a yeah. part-time PT and I was able to do the marketing and it worked for me. But yeah. it's yeah. very, very hard to do that. Yeah. So why would you like, 
I'm cool with resilience and perseverance and hustle and grind and, you know, but there's a really cool quote. It's the, uh, the, you could always tell who the pioneers are. They're the ones with the arrows in their back. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, when, when I hear that, I'm just like, huh? So what do you do? Like when it comes to business, like, how do I, like, like you're saying a lot of stuff, but what do I do? It's just like, find out who is successful in your space. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know about you guys. I could argue that Kim's been pretty successful. Right. And I would look at what does she do? Cause she already has the arrows in her back mm-hmm. and she was able to figure out like, oh, okay, I did this, I did it. But if I had to do it again, this is what it. I would do. Mm-hmm. Right. So now Kim's giving you the next blueprint. The easiest barrier to entry is start a stretch mobility. Because here's the thing, guys, like I know you're trying to, you know, well, I would, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have gotten to school. So get that off the plate. <laughs> would have been a marketer in business. You don't need to go to school per se. Like there's merit to that. And we got to get our degrees. But at the same time, like you don't need to go to get, be successful. If you want to go to be a clinician, yes. But to be successful, no. At the same time, you got to understand that someone like Kim, she's already put in the work, right? And has the blue. I already see, I've broken down so many different clinics. And I know like if you're a PTA, like we ain't bringing you into a PT clinic until we get three providers. Right. And then the reason why is because if someone calls out sick or someone goes on vacation or someone this or someone that, I can't have a PT and a PTA because this PT goes on vacation. Well, then what am I doing with all the visits for the PTA? Exactly. <laughs> Who's seeing Medicare for two weeks a year while they're out? Mm-hmm. This guy? Probably not. So it's just like we need to figure that out. So what's the next step? Well, I need barriers here. So if I only have two people and one quicks, so well, now we're in a situation. So I need another layer. So we don't recommend bringing PT, at least in my program. We don't recommend bringing PTAs on until three providers, four providers. And then even then, people are leaning in and be like, well, they can't see Medicare. Right. Medicare is cutting reimbursement. So think about this. Like PTs are trying to phase you out, right? Unless you're really busy and they can't hire a PT, so they default to a PTA. Right. And then the other thing is that they're getting into situations where they're like, well, they can work for me, but they could only see the crap insurances. So you're seeing all the workman's comp. You're seeing the Aetna's, the United Healthcare, the capitated $50, $60, $70 visits because they consider you cheap labor, right? Mm-hmm. Think about that. They consider it's you the truth as a business, yeah. And then they want to bring you in. So if you're like, well, I would feel a certain way. I'm not cheap labor. I'm going to run my own thing and I'll show you. Well, then I have this vehicle and success leaves clues, right? So success leaves clues and it's showing you that like, just go start a stretch mobility and now you're off to the races. And now you mm-hmm. and all your PTA friends could just be working over here and then crushing it mm-hmm. and then be like, and then you're going to be laughing because you're setting your own rates and you're growing your own business and you're scaling and you got five PTAs working with you while these PT clinics are sitting here scratching their head. Like what happened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to knock on their door and be like, do you need that mobility? Cause we could add it as a wellness program. <laughs> right. So now you're off to the races there too. So I think realistically, Kim, there's a lot to kind of unpack there, but I think it's really important because no one talks about this. That's why I'm so thankful for someone like you to have a platform and a podcast because you're going to be able to shed light on things that people just don't know about. And it's going to save them a lot of time and resources where me and you are still probably paying back some of our mistakes. <laughs> oh, oh, a lot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, you know, and, and the other thing guys too, and, and I want to make this very clear and Kim hasn't brought it up, but I do want to shed light on this. Some of you are thinking partnerships. Mm. 
So, and I think that there's some merit to a partnership. And I, I had a, just to come, like, I'm not biased here. I, I had a partnership. I think if I did it over again, I could have easily partnered with somebody else, which I think we would have had success with. I had partners with eight other guys and it was great. It's just, there's, it's hard to split a dollar nine ways, right? So I, I've had partnerships. But the only thing though, too, is just like when you're starting out and stuff like that, if you're going to partner with somebody, you have to partner with someone who is your strength or who is your weakness. Correct. Right. So at the same time, who can do things that you will not be able to do and they do it well. And who is that person? Because if you're a PTA and you're a PTA and you're going to partner together, just do it yourself. Uh Right. So if you're going to come in and you're, you're the clinician and you're the talent when it comes to fulfillment, then be the talent when it comes to fulfillment. However, partner with the marketing and salesperson to grow, grow the company. That already knows how to do it. That is that already learning. knows how to do it. Yes. Yeah. And we're not talking about someone who's in an HVAC repair and they right. know how to get customers and they've never done PT before. Partner with somebody there. And you might be sitting there and like, well, I don't want to give equity in my company. Dude, like, if they know how to grow your business and they can grow your business exponentially and they're a component of it and you just get to be clinical care, I'd yeah. ride that train all day long. Right. Or what you can do too, right? So some of you are like, well, you know, I still I still don't want to, I wanted this to be my own thing. Then what you have to do is you got to either do, you got to do coaching or you got to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden you got someone like him with a blueprint and they're like, well, I just, or like me and my clients, like I have my clients and we teach them how to grow and you know, build their team and stuff like that. Kim is on the other hand, she's making people uh, like she's showing you the blueprint of how to do this. <laughs> so it's like, go figure it out on your own. So a lot of times you don't want to give that equity partnership there. And it was funny, Kim, I, I heard this. I can't unhear it now because I, this guy is really successful. But if you know, digital marketer, Ryan Dice and Perry Belcher and some of these guys, but Perry Belcher was on a podcast and I was listening to him and he was talking about partnerships. And he's like, you know, you know, and he's got that real raspy voice. He's like, you know, I have so many partnerships and businesses because I'm the minority owner. And he's just like, I don't have to worry about those businesses when I go to sleep at night. So I thought about that. And it was like, you can do partnerships, but everybody wants to be 51 and not 49%. Right. Right. So everybody wants to be the decision maker. As far as I'm concerned, let it be the other person's problem. And I'll come in and do some consulting. And we're also the racist. (laughs) So I'm with you, but I think we're getting older and we've learned a lot. And our struggles is where that's what I'm saying. So I'm letting you guys know from our mistakes, this is kind of where we're at with that. But those are really, really good questions, Kim, because I think that, you know, a lot of individuals get stuck in that early, like, like if I just knew that this is the blueprint I should be on, I could just go all in and do it. Right. But I think what happens is we get into this circle of despair where it's just like, if I go down this road, is that the road that I, I was meant to go down? And will I serve the people that I was supposed to serve? Or did it take me further away from my goal? And I think that that's where most people struggle with, especially from an owner standpoint or coaching, is that like you sit there and you're like, oh my gosh, like if I go down this road here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to easily spend three to five years doing it. And it's just like, was that the right decision? And I think both of us, like it's hard to make that call. Mm-hmm. And I live my life in five-year increments. Like I, and, and I think from what I'm hearing is you're, you're kind of right there with me. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I went to grad school. I went to undergrad, right? So that took five years and I went to grad school and then I got my first job and that took five years. And then I was a practice owner and that took five years and I was a coach now and now I'm on to my next level. So I'm, I'm in this five year, every five years, I'm kind of leveling up, right? But well, why does it take you five years? It's because I'm acquiring all the skill sets that I'm going to need to get to the next level or I'm learning all the information, either earn or learn 
earn what to do or learn what not to do, right? So you get all that information, you take it with you. But I think the absolute worst thing that I'm seeing with most people as I get older is this. There's a really cool quote by Mark Twain. It's just like, I don't want to mess this up. But he says, a lot of men want to live to 92, but they die at 29. Mm. And it's Mm. just like, and I sit there and I think about it. And it's just like, that's such a powerful quote because a lot of people want to live long, but realistically they die, their dreams, their aspirations, their everything just dies right at 29 or whatever the math is you want to do. You know, they want to live to, you know, 82, but they die at 20, whatever the number is that they use. But I sit there and I'm thinking about it and I'm looking at peers neighbors i'm looking at family members i'm looking at and they're just here mm-hmm. right so and as an entrepreneur you're always going to have the itch to keep mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. and you're going to get to it and it gets to that level where you meet and people just don't understand you anymore and that's okay but that's why you have to go find people that are like you or else you'll think you're different and goofy and we weird. are different <laughs> we are different just trying to change the world that's all one pt at a time one and one pt at a time that's one right. PTA at a time <laughs> So that kind of segues us into the second question that I have for you. Like, where are they failing? Well, fear is a component of it. Overwhelm is a component of it. You know, I would have to say that those people, I think a lot of the new owners that I'm talking to Mm -hmm. don't know the direction at all. So they don't, they think that when they open a business that it's supposed to just run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not that something's going to take five years to get there. Well, I could already tell you right now, I work with owners that are in business five years and they're still not there. So it's right. just like, <laughs> so where's the disconnect? Is it the startup? Is it this or is that? The, the problem is, Kim, is we didn't go to business school. Mm-mm. So, and when well, I to, did, that was my first year before PTA, that's why you are where you are. And that's why you got there so quickly. So when it comes to most practitioners, like, what do we want to do? Like we went and tried to figure things out. We're type A individuals, you know, we're quick starts. We want to know now we want to figure things out. We're scientific, we're data, we're doctors or we're providers. And a lot of doctors like to do what we like to learn. So we don't like to implement per se. We just like to learn things because if we're learning things, we feel like we are doing something and we stay into this, what we call our flow state, because it's hard to learn things, but at the same time, it makes us comfortable. So we just kind of stay here. But then when we go to learn skill sets for business, like how to get more leads or how to convert those leads or how to you know provide a really good experience for the patient and how to follow up with people on the backside and how to get them to come back in if you perform a good experience and then oh by the way we have to do all of that while making sure that our staff doesn't quit right <laughs> or leave or get overwhelmed because here's the thing when we're not treating you know we're telling them to do work and then when they get busy they get overwhelmed and then they say they need to get paid and then there's all this whatever and then you sit there and you scratch your head and you're like I'm doing all of this to make this money and I could have just been doing this in home health to make the same amount. So exactly. why and have you, a life and have a and why would, so why would you stay in the game? And the reason is, is because it's more for personal fulfillment, right? So you don't want to just do the show up, treat, do your notes and go home. You love the strategy. I told, I was just on a call the other day and I said, you know, someone asked me, they're like, do you miss anything about like running your clinics? And I said, you know what? Honestly, the only thing I really miss is being able to show up to my team meetings, come up with a strategy, assemble my team and go execute. Like that's what I, I miss that kind of like that dynamic of it. But other than that, I'm doing all the other stuff just in a different vertical, but having like that team dynamic was interesting. But realistically, it's just like, you know, we have to understand as, 
as we go through and we, you're going to feel paralyzed to make decisions. And the reason why is you're going to hear something. And it's the frame that you put around that fact, either positive or negative, is going to decide what action you take, right? So if you put a frame around something like, okay, I'm going to start my business, right? That's the fact. And it's going to be hard. Well, then that's the story you're going to tell yourself, right? Because if you fight for your uh, like limiting beliefs, you get to keep them. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, so it, it realistically, it's just like, when you hear something like, okay, if I hire a physical therapist, you know, like, so, so that's could be a fact. I need to hire a physical therapist. And a lot of owners, what I typically hear, what happens if we don't get them full? What happens if you do? Right. So it's just like, you got to put different facts around it. So if you put a positive, everything has, you know, there's heads, there's tails, you know, there's up, there's down, everything has an opposite to it. It's all polarity. So realistically, if something's negative, there has to be a positive. So just focus on the positive, but people are like, oh, well, that's easy, Robbie. Right. Mindset. Just focus on positive. Do your affirmation. I'm going to I'm here to tell you right now. And this was really powerful information I got. They're like, it's OK to always default to negative. Actually, you're always going to default to negative thoughts. Always. Right. What if I open a practice and it fails? What if I, you know, hire my first person and then I train them and then they quit? What if I turn on Facebook ads and I don't get a single lead and waste five hundred dollars? You will always default to negative. And I said, well, why is that? They said, because there's 44 million years of primal thinking of how to survive. And you're not going to beat that. So here's what you have to do. The first thing that you have to do is accept the negative thought, right? So what's, okay, we hire a PT and they don't get full. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, we fire them. (laughs) (laughs) We let them, our business defaults and we go bankrupt and we have to sell our house. No, you just fire the PT and now you're back to square one. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now reload and hire somebody else and fill them up and do what you were supposed to do, but didn't. But no. So first of all, what happens? What's the worst case scenario? Well, if we don't fill them up, we let them go. So if that happened a thousand times, would you be okay with that result? Well, yeah. I mean, if we just hire someone and we don't fill them, we just let them go. Yeah. I'd be fine with that. Great. That's worst case scenario. And you just told me if that happened a thousand times, you'd be okay with that. So now let's just focus on the positive. What's the positive? Well, we hire them and then we fill their schedule in like six weeks. Great. So now ask an empowering question, right? So the empowering question would be like, how do we get them full? And what do we need to do? Down. And it's not that hard. It's not right, that hard. You just I mean, have to figure it out. 35 patients, two times a week, they're full. Congratulations. Exactly. It's like, like, so now the question is like, how do we get that? So working backwards, but the key here, guys, is a lot of us sit with negative. That negative is going to cause an emotion. That emotion is going to cause doubt. And then that doubt is going to cause paralysis. You're not going to do any action move. But if you focus on the positive, you're going to be able to get what we like to call anticipation. And that anticipation is going to force you to take action, right? Because when you have that feeling of like, hey, we're going to focus on the positive here. You're going to have a belief, right, that it's going to work. So you believe that it's going to work. And then you have anticipation. And now you can make more. So just always know you're going to default to negative. Accept that negative emotion. And then go to positive And be like, okay, now I could ask empowering questions. Mm-hmm. Right? I felt sorry for myself for a second here. But that's okay. That's primal thinking. But now I'm going to go up here. And when I started to do that in everything I do, it's changed the way that, I, like, what happens if I do this and it works? Versus my default would be like, oh, and I don't know if this is really, so I want to just be clear with algorithms and, and derailment of like your thoughts as a visionary. When you have this around you and you're talking about your decision makings and you're texting people about things that you're about to do, and then you log into Facebook and you get five Facebook ads of the thing that you just talked about, 
it could be really, really depressing, but that's called targeting. So it's just like, I was just like, hey, I should do Facebook ads and show people how to do them themselves. And then, hey, I should show people how to hire their da 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 da. It's just like, man. So just know that it's okay to have the same idea as other people. That just means you're on the right track. So that's it. <laughs> so. Well, you've got to look at the McDonald's when they do their research. You know, yeah. then you're going to have a Burger King nearby or Kentucky Fried Chicken and things like that. So that it's okay to do yeah. the same thing, but you're not going to do it the same way. Yeah, because all the audience members are at the same corner, right? So you're, uh-huh. you're bringing 100% of the audience to that corner, right? Uh-huh. So you're not going half the audience here and half the audience down here and, and everybody never, you know, crosses paths and, you know, hey, maybe I'll try them or maybe I'll try them. Yeah, owners all the time will be like, well, I don't want to do that because someone else is already doing that. And I'm like, oh, so no restaurant should ever open ever again? Because Ever. someone else is serving food. And they're like, well, well, that's food. That's not PT. I'm like, oh, because you're just like this. Nobody hurts, right? <laughs> Nobody gets so, in pain. Yeah, because you're just this amazing unicorn that, uh, again, guys, like if you're going into a niche that nobody's doing, then you're probably in the wrong. Like I'm telling you right now, there's very smart people out there and there's very small blue oceans. Like a lot of it is purple. <laughs> It's like you're trying to find the purple ocean where there's already a red ocean, there's a blue, and they kind of cross paths a little bit. But there's very rare – like people are like, what is he talking about? A blue ocean would be like, well, if crypto or NFTs came out. Like no one heard of NFTs. It's this new thing, blue ocean. Electric vehicles started coming out, right? Elon Musk was one of the first electric blue ocean. Now other people are starting to catch up, and now there's like a red ocean. But he'll even be the first person to tell you, great, because I released the blueprint how to make the car. So – Right. If we're going to change the world. Everybody needs to be doing it. So go ahead right. and just take my blueprint and go. Right. So, you know, that that's blue ocean, like new opportunities. But realistically, more people are over here in the red and they're tinkering with how to make it better. Or Kim, like, hey, I went through this process. I kind of know some stuff. Maybe I could give it to you guys so that you don't have to go through and figure it out on your own. So, right. And right. then, to be fair, some people might make it better than you, Kim, or better, better than me. It's my hope that as those people go through that they will, yeah. because I don't, you know, that's how Celebrate you're supposed to do your it. brothers and sisters. So there you exactly. go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which is awesome. So awesome stuff, guys. You just heard a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. We always talk about a lot of stuff yeah, here. We always talk about <laughs> oh, programs that are out there that are currently mm-hmm. offered for people. Do throw some out to me that you feel like you know that people are offering right now and kind of what pricing is for everybody. Do you know well, any? At the same time, like what, let's try to hone this in. Like, what are we looking for? Business coaching? Are we looking for like marketing? Because because it's kind of a broad. I, you I know what? Sure. And right now, what are the two biggest things that are being taught out there? Coaching in the coaching field for the PT side. Well, right now, a lot of it just because of, of previous, they're moving more towards like kind of doing your own stuff and making running your own ads and kind of learning that. Mm-hmm. Um, because there has been programs out there that charge a lot for them to do the ads for them. But I am here to tell you that actually the quickest way to success is having as many people do your stuff for you. So realistically, like everything's going to have a cost to acquire a customer or a cost to run your business. And I see a lot of people like cut corners on certain things and it takes them further away from their goal. Yes. So the first thing that I would always recommend is we should have a coach. I'm biased. I'm a coach. Kim's a coach. Everybody has to have a coach. And the reason why is because I think that, you know, when it's me, Kim, and another person sitting here sharing ideas, I guarantee we will get there further than if I just did it by myself, right? That, that goes back to the book, Who yeah. Is Your Who? Yeah. yeah who yeah. Not What? Who Not What? Yeah, focused on the who, not how, right? So it's just like, who not how, that's it. You know, I, I think a lot of people, what they do is they, you know, I wish I didn't know as much as I did. 
Mm-hmm. I wish I didn't know as much as I did because when I was in my recent mastermind, I hate to say it, like from a cerebral knowing a little bit of everything kind of thing, I knew like if I had a conversation with someone who was HVAC or high ticket coaching or did uh, SEO or what, I had enough information from everything that I could lean in and be like, you should do this, 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 and this to enhance your business and they're on their way, right? But realistically, where that hurts me is that I sit here and I, I might overthink things in my own business, right? Because I'm like, well, if I do that, then that's going to cause this to happen. And I don't know if I want to necessarily do that. So then I never get started, which saves me a lot of time sometimes. But at the same time, I wish I didn't know as much. So then I could sit in and be like, who does know that? And let me hire them. Correct. Correct. Right? Because realistically, it's just like, I don't, I wish I didn't know how to do Facebook ads. I mean, well, I mean I by, by the time you yeah. spend time on building your website, you spend time yeah. on doing this and you do this and you do this, you know what, you're yeah. sitting behind a computer, but you're not out there getting leads in and you're not well, actually building your customer relationship and all of that stuff too. Yeah. See, now this is why I asked you, because now you're asking really good questions. So coaching focus on like premium coaching, like period. Like you have to like if, any money that you possibly are making each month, put some away. And then um, like, if you're going to take out like, don't do this. If you're looking to open up a business, and me and Kim will both agree with this, and hopefully I'm not overstepping here, but if you're opening up a business, right, it's like don't be taking out personal loans to buy programs because there's this thing called a loan for your business that you're going to need to take out, and they're not going to want to see that you have all this other stuff taken out. Get mm-hmm. the loan for your business and then have the coaching built into the loan so then you could go pay. Like, anyways, like I just wanted to throw that out there because I heard something terrible where they were startups. They were getting them taking loans out to buy the startup thing. And then they weren't able to get loans for their business because they took out a loan for the coaching. So Mm -hmm. anyways, as you can tell, we're trying to make sure you don't get into these situations. We want you to be successful. We want you to be successful, right? And if you're successful with or without, we wish you all the best and we celebrate you from afar, but we are here to give you guidance on what we've did and made mistakes. So the biggest thing from a program thing, invest in premium coaching. But when I say premium coaching, I then see people picking coaching that sounds like something that they would want to get into and then it's not and then they waste money. So find someone in your like in your area, in your arena that's already done what you want and then pay them for that information. Exactly. That's exactly. Coaching, right? Yeah. So they're two steps ahead of you and they're going to reach down, grab your hand and pull up. If they're five steps ahead of you, they're too, too far, far ahead. Way right? too far. So if I'm a startup, like who is at this level? They could pull me up to that 100 visit level or who's at this level. And pull, like, I'm going to tell you right now, I've never done 500 visits a week, right? So I can't coach somebody on how to do 500 visits a week if I haven't done 500 visits a week. Right. right? Or you shouldn't. Right. Or I shouldn't, right? And, there, and I have a couple of people that are doing it now because they were in my program at the level that I taught them with. But then they get there and I lean in and I'm like, we're kind of learning this on the fly because I, you know, mm-hmm. you're having issues that I, I don't know about. Like, because at 500, now they're making money. Mm-hmm. Now they're asking me like tax strategy and investing and stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, let me find you the person that could do that, right? <laughs> I could show you how to get there, but I can't show you what you get to the money. Yeah, but you know, so there's some congruency. The next piece in the puzzle is that like, you do realize that there's very affordable things like Fiverr, Upwork. There's like, you could get a website for $100 made on, on Fiverr. You know, and just pay for your own hosting so you control the hosting versus them controlling your hosting. Mm-hmm. But and if you don't know what that is, it's a quick YouTube Google search. <laughs> so, you know, or you could even pay someone to set up the hosting for you and you don't even have to worry about it. And you got a website for like two hundred bucks versus paying someone buku bucks in the beginning. And then like maybe you don't know SEO or different things like that. 
just know like SEO because we do it for some of our clients and it's just like it's a different beast and you have to do it right or you get really dinged when there's updates if they're doing like you know gray hat or black hat activities that could really ding you have to make sure that you're building trust with Google and some people don't and then once they make an update they crush all the rankings and I've noticed that because I've seen some emails go out from different saying like oh hey you know there's an update and if your rankings crash this is kind of whatever but that's kind of like what I've I've typically seen is most people are doing some things they're not supposed to. But realistically, like SEO, like there's no reason any physical therapy practice owner should be doing their own SEO. You should not be doing your own <laughs> I SEO. I know there's people trying to teach you how to do your own SEO, but at the same time, hire a specialist. Like that's why we have a team to do it. And it's just like, even myself, it's like, I know enough about it to have a conversation and know if they're doing it right. But at the same time, like that, you know, there's people teaching Facebook ads or Google ads. If you don't have a budget, to pay someone and run ad spend, then you have to learn mm-hmm. because then you could use the money that you would have paid someone to use for your ad spend, right? So there's there's where that comes into play. And I'm here to tell you that uh, everybody scare tactics you to tell you that it's not it's hard to do, it's complicated, it's this and that. It kind of is if you don't know how to set up all the autoresponders and stuff like that. But realistically, just go to Facebook, go to your ad account, hit Messenger ads, run Facebook ads, no landing page needed, have conversation with people online. And then get them into your client. It's really easy. Just get customers. <laughs> That's right. Right. So then that way you don't have to worry about landing pages and autoresponders and all this other stuff. Just run Facebook Messenger ads. Yeah. But at the same time, now it's just like you're going down the process. Of like now I've got my coaching. That's where my focus is. This little ticky tack stuff. I do this. Maybe you might want to hire a four or five dollar an hour VA for like five, 10 hours a week to do some like your admin stuff. Maybe they're going to help with your billing. They're going to help with answering your email, whatever that looks like. I would start getting that skill set of delegation quickly. Really quick. Well, I think I help people determine their value. So if your value equals this, then hire up to that value. So if your value is 150 an hour, anything below that, you need to be hiring out. Yeah, well, and that's really good. But I would even challenge you to say that most clinic owners are $10,000 an hour jobs. Oh, for sure. Because if you're, if I could argue that if I went to a physician office and we were able to set up a relationship and I'm now getting 10 visits a month or 10 patients a month through that one resource, then now all of a sudden at 1000 1500 bucks a plan of care, you know, that's ten dollars to $15,000 we'll get for the company from me just going to meet and having a lunch and learn with whoever I went and had a lunch and learn with. Yeah. So I think a lot of times with practice owners, we kind of like, well, you know, if I'm charging 150 bucks a visit, which is, which is huge, because most people say they're only 20, 30 bucks anyways. But I think for owners, I always want them kind of thinking bigger. And it's just like, think about your packages. So if it's $150, it's like, well, that's one-on-one fulfillment, but you guys are selling packages of however much you are. So think about how much that package. So you selling a package in one instance, you just made like, so 10 visits at 150 bucks. You're right. So it's $1,500. So your value in theory, your T value is 1500 bucks. Because okay. what if I just had you answering the phone and selling people into the program and not fulfilling? Well, now I'm doing a $1,500 an hour job. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, now all of a sudden I do an event and I bring all these people in and I close the event. Now 10 people just bought my program at 1500 bucks. Now I'm at $10,000. So, so you got to kind of get to the point where you're doing the $10,000 jobs versus the 10, 20s, 50s, 100s. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's huge, Kim. That's, gr- that's really good that. advice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But All I right. think realistically that, that mistake of not delegating on the front end and not learning that skill quick enough um, hurts a lot of owners. 
It really does. And I think not putting your money into your business to market because marketing, you, you got to market your business. Yeah. And I, I and we kind of covered this on the first podcast where I talked about like most startup clinics, you just don't have enough goodwill built into your company to really rely on internal marketing. That happens. Mm-hmm. The, the turning part is about three years that I typically mm-hmm. see. But once you're over five years, 60% of your business should be internal marketing. Mm-hmm. should be. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that way you just turn on ads on and off as you need it. But you're either doing sweat equity in the front or you're doing Facebook, Google ads, you know, postcards, whatever, any paid media. But realistically, I would just make a list of like 25 different businesses or physicians. Mm-hmm. And then I would hit that list really hard because other businesses already have, like who's got your patients who already has a list that I could leverage. BYOA, borrow other people's audience kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm you know, borrow your own audience. So that's kind of what I would like look at, you know, and that's how, how I leverage that in the beginning. So if I, if I had to do it, you know, I would challenge people to be like, okay, I got 90 days to fill my practice. So what do I do in 90 days to fill my practice? How many patients do I need? How many visits is that? You'll be surprised. It's like 30 patients. It's like, it's, and it's easy it's to like, get, but you yeah. have to do the upfront work first before you start going, oh, I just want to see this person and this person. Right. You want to get out there so that you have a feeder system. Yeah. And honestly, Kim, it's like, you know, people just aren't unwilling to do the work because you could stand in front of Home Depot with a sign for two days and get 30 You're Totally patients. good. Right. So why? You so, could walk in Home Depot and watch people limping and. Yeah. And- uh, so, so, I mean, go to Wegmans on a Tuesday when it's senior day and just you know, tell me you can't get patients. Like, so it's just like, if that's the case, like success leaves clues, right? So the people who have gotten full in even just like, you know, real estate, how did you go from one house to five? I hustled, man. What do you mean hustled? Well, while most people only leave one business card, I was leaving a thousand. Mm-hmm. You know, when one people were only making one phone call, I made 50. So volume is key in the beginning. Right. So that's kind of where I wanted to get to. So awesome, Kim. This has been a blast as always. It'll probably be like, a, a <laughs> like an hour and a half weekly. podcast. So we that's okay. It. <laughs> it was really good. I, I, I feel confident about this one. This was good. So <laughs> all right. Well, Everybody, I hope you enjoyed Robbie. Robbie, tell us really quickly how to yeah. get in touch with you. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you guys go to our group, because we're always doing different things, just go to uh, www.rehabceos.com backslash community. And you guys will be able to get into our group there. And we do a live weekly training starting on Tuesdays. So feel free to join us on Tuesdays for our live training. And then if we have any programs or anything coming up, we'll let you know there. So cool. Okay. Cool. Robbie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll just have to get on and talk about another subject another time. There you go. I'd be <laughs> happy to be on. So appreciate it, Cam. Thank you guys for having me on and uh, look forward to maybe seeing you on the next one. See All right. See you later, Robbie. joining us today on the Rehab to Wellness Boss podcast, where you, a rehab professional, can start, build, and grow your very own successful wellness cash practice. If you're ready to level up and become a stretch mobility coach, then head on over to our website, www.thestretchmobilitycoach.com. This website will take you through the next steps needed to practice as a stretch mobility coach. Come on over. 